I'm Katie. Welcome to Talking With Cancer. Thanks so much for being here. I started the podcast back in February 2022 when I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer called hobnail. And it was a way to keep my close friends and family up to date with my diagnosis and treatment. And that's evolved into what is now season three, where each week it's me plus a guest discussing all things about cancer. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Talking With Cancer. It's lovely to have you. I've done something a little bit different this week. I thought I'd mix it up. I've actually split episode nine into two parts. So today is part one going out. And on Thursday, part two of the episode is going out. And the reason I've done that is because what's really brilliant about this week's episode is that each part I speak to two different people that I've come across actually both on social media who have similar diagnosis to me. So on today's episode, I speak to Adam Manley and we are similar because he has thyroid cancer. I won't go into how we kind of came across each other because I mentioned that on the introduction, but we have a really great chat and we talk about all sorts of things, actually. We spoke for ages. It was the first time we'd ever spoken, and it was really, really lovely to spend that hour chatting with him. Some of the topics that we cover in the interview are symptoms, of course. Where do we go when we process this stuff? And we both talk about the fact that we both have a therapist. He was dealing with his father's cancer diagnosis, which coincided with his cancer diagnosis. We talk about the thyroid itself and thyroxine and kind of how that impacts on you physically. We talk about the fact people talk about thyroid cancer as a good cancer. And that just blows my mind that those two words can be used in the same sentence. Like the word good does not describe cancer in any shape or form. I think what people mean is that very often thyroid cancer is quite a treatable type of cancer. But even so, being told that you have cancer is a hugely scary, shocking experience. And everyone's experience of cancer is different and everyone's going to feel different emotions. And I just emphasize this because I think I don't think anyone should feel guilty if they kind of do have a cancer that's been quite treatable and they've moved quite quickly into a place of remission or being told they're cancer-free. So I think it's important that we talk about that. We talk about surgery, of course, and Adam's had quite a lot of surgery. We talk about the fact that he is dealing with this whilst living abroad, the impact of lockdown. And also we try to tackle the subject about whether having cancer as a male is a different experience and why and we also touch on like why do we hold our doctors in such high regard we almost kind of consider them to be these celebrities so yes that is today's interview and I really hope you enjoy it he is one of my voices with cancer so I've been doing these voice notes I've been asking anyone with a cancer story to get in touch and send me a voice note which I play on the episode and it's lovely I'm really happy that I've got this place as a platform for people to be heard and a place where people can go to share their story so because I've got Adam today 
I'm not playing out a voice note. And because I've got my next guest part two on Thursday, I'm not playing out a voice note. But we'll resume with voice notes next week from episode 10 onwards. So yeah, I hope you like this episode. And as ever, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you about it. want to welcome everybody to this episode of Talking With Cancer. You've heard me talk about like social media with Carly Musa in episode three. And what's like, there's lots of pros and cons to that. But one of the lovely things is the connection that you make with other people. And today's guest was actually the first person to ever reach out to me who I didn't know who'd listened to the podcast. And he connected with me on Instagram. And I was so thrilled that like it was out there in the world and that other people were listening to it or even just one person that I didn't know. Um, so yeah, I just want to introduce everyone to today's guest, Adam Manley. Welcome. Hi guys, how are you doing? <laughs> so nice <laughs> to have you, Adam. I never thought back then when you wrote to me that you'd end up being a guest, but I wanted to invite you on because I've also spoken to another sort of social media friend who yeah. has the Ross One gene and is on a Ross One Facebook group. So I've spoken to him and I wanted to speak to you as well because I thought, actually, I want to get a man's perspective on all of this or hear from more men. Back then, I think the podcast launched in May and I think you got in touch like a week or two after it launched. How did you find the podcast? What kind of inspired you to get in touch? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know... It was sort of because um, I work late nights sometimes because I work for the American market. So sometimes I'm working till 11 o'clock at night. You know, I listen to podcasts and I just kind of thought, I wonder if there is something about thyroid cancer. Um, but I thought it's probably a little bit niche, but I searched for it anyway. And then your podcast came up and then I sort of just started following. You know, I, a lot of it resonated with me. You know, also, it's kind of nice to hear it in audio as well, because, you know, there's a lot of things you can read, but sometimes it's kind of just nice to, to listen to somebody, a real person talking. And yeah, I know that you said, you know, maybe get in touch. And I kind of wasn't sure about it. I was kind of thinking, you know, am I overstepping the mark? And I thought, no, I, actually, I'll just send a message and yeah, just say I probably wrote back straight away, didn't I? Because <laughs> I was like, yeah. hey! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you did. I'm so glad that you did get in touch because we've stayed in touch ever since, haven't we? Yeah, we have, definitely. I think there was a time when you were in hostel and I was in hostel around a similar time. And so it's kind of quite nice to, you know, check on each other and see how we're doing. And, yeah. I know this sounds like a bit mean or weird, but like mm. sometimes if I'm feeling really crap, that's the time I want to reach out to you or another cancer patient to kind of go, I might not say it exactly in those words, but you kind of want that reassurance. Do you feel like that? I sometimes feel like a little bit the opposite because I think I've, I've said to you before, I've said, sorry, I've kind of just disappeared for a, a week or two. I think I sort of just go into myself. So I'm almost like the opposite. And then when I'm feeling okay, I'm like, hi, I'm here again, you know, mm. sort of thing. It's, it's funny how you kind of react differently. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, and that's what I always say, like everyone's got their own way of dealing with it and it's totally fine. So that makes sense and it's good to know because I've noticed when you've not been online and I've sort of yeah. gone, oh, I hope Adam's all right. It's not 
been around. I've even said to my husband, I'm like, Dinch, you know that guy I'm chatting to online? <laughs> He's not been around for a couple of weeks. But that's totally fair enough. I think that's completely makes sense. And actually, those are probably really smart, sensible times to retreat away from social media. Because I think, as I talked with Carly about, like, mm. it can be really overwhelming if you're tapping yeah. into this community, but any community when you're not feeling great. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, there was, obviously we'll go into more detail, but, you know, I was, I wasn't on enough thyroxine and I really felt like when I upped my dose that it really changed, you know, how I was feeling. And it's just amazing how like a small change can really like change your mood mm. and it's tired fatigue and things like that. And yeah, you know, I think it was getting to the point where my mum was like, Adam, are you okay as well? And we talk like quite often as well. So yeah, I think it's just funny how you can kind of react sometimes. I think sometimes I retreat a little bit. Just on that, just because mm. I'm interested what other people do, do you look at any support groups out there? Do you think ever to pick up the phone to people like Macmillan or Maggie's or there's plenty of other organisations out there? Well, I was on the Facebook group, so I have one person that we've been chatting for the last two and a half years as well, um, and yourself. But to be honest, because I'm in France, you know, we don't have the same kind of charity network that you would in the UK. But the person that I do speak to is my therapist that I see once a week. I've got a massive thumbs up because I'm like, first of all, I'm so happy to hear you've got a therapist. And second of all, I'm so happy to hear you tell everyone you've got a therapist because yeah. that shows that you're of this age where, and I mean like age, modern age, I don't mean your age, where it's okay to share that. Like, it's brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I kind of just, I'm kind of quite an open book sometimes. And, you know, I think, well, he's probably kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, you know, I think it's never been about like, you know, changing particularly the way I think or anything, but it's just an outlet every week. And, you know, I guess we'll go into it in more detail again, but, you know, Sometimes I would have thought that the treatment would have ended at some point, but it's kind of just carried on. And I guess it's trying to, you know, have somebody that's not emotionally involved that you can speak to every week and, yeah, just kind of let things go. Definitely. Good for yeah. you. I think that's so important. And I've also got a therapist and I've had a therapist for a long time. And yeah, it helps, you know, just to process what you're feeling. And so it's interesting that you talk about the thyroxine because I don't often think that things I'm feeling, whether that's temperature stuff, mood stuff, appetite, weight, I never really, for some reason, think about that with regards to the thyroxine. But obviously, we both take thyroxine because have you had yeah. a full thyroidectomy? Yeah, have I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we both yeah. got that in common. So we rely on thyroxine completely. So exactly. interesting that you notice that how that dose changes affects how you're feeling emotionally. And maybe I should be a bit more aware of that. We were talking before mm. I pressed record about the fact I feel okay. And I'm like, that makes me feel nervous. We're both saying, yeah, because you kind of know something's going to hit. But maybe <laughs> I'm not so tired because my dose has gone up a bit. Oh, so okay, that's yeah. interesting. Can you go back to how this all started and share sure. with me your symptoms and diagnosis story? Please? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, to be honest. It goes back to 2019 in December. So I was seeing a, an asthma consultant. So my asthma is not terrible, but it wasn't controlled. So, you know, I kind of need to see a specialist and kind of get things sorted out. And the great thing about France is, you know, often they do send you to a specialist quite quickly. So I thought, okay, I need to have a complete review and stuff. 
And um, asthma was something you'd had all your life, was it? Yeah, yeah, all yeah. my life. You know, I was always the kid with with the ventilator, you know, trying to do sports. You know, it was, like, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like an American movie, you know. Oh. I no, I mean, it's like kind of thought it was living in Paris because you know there is pollution, and you know, I'm from a small town in England, and you know you can see the sky and but here you know sometimes there is pollution and things so I kind of thought maybe that's the reason but she kept up in my dose and she didn't understand why and she said there's something that's blocking around your airway your trachea and I was like oh okay that's strange and she said well it could be COPD but you haven't smoked and you're quite young you're 30 what is COPD sorry Adam so I think it's <laughs> oh okay Yes. The type of illness, basically, yeah, that affects yeah. the lungs, is it? Basically, right. a lot of smokers get it. Yeah, I've completely forgot what it is. But yeah, okay. it's like a pulmonary destructive disease. So, you know, she just thought it was kind of strange for me to, to have that. So she said, go and have an x-ray of your lungs and come back within three months. And then, I guess, moving forward, my father had mesothelioma, lung cancer, and he unfortunately died in February and then this year sorry i was 2020 right um, sorry so, to hear that i didn't know that yeah yeah so he unfortunately died and then we had covid obviously i kind of lost my job around then so it was all kind of up in the air you know i didn't go and get that you know that x-ray i just kind of thought oh well i'll do it at some point and obviously everything was closed for a few months anyway and then it got to about june i thought okay better get this x-ray done finally so really you know i'd left it double the amount of time I should have but you know whatever we've all done that Adam trust <laughs> exactly. me yeah it's a common we've thing. all done it and then yeah she said okay you need to come back with a scan soon and I said well when and she said next week and I thought oh dear okay maybe this is a bit more serious than I thought France is like a little bit of a different system but I went and literally booked a scan online and then went there that the next day and then they said, yeah, your lymph nodes are kind of like swollen all over your chest. And then they said, yeah, it could be lymphoma. And yeah, I guess that moment really was quite strange. It was a bit like being in a movie because I sort of almost cringe at it. I kind of said to the doctor, I was like, well, my dad just died of cancer. Like, surely I don't have cancer. I know that was kind of completely unrelated, but I kind of just was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, um, I totally get that. Because you yeah. kind of think you've lived through it once. Like, my dad died of pancreatic cancer, and I never for one moment thought that I would get cancer because he had no. it. You know what I mean? Which yeah, I think people might think that sounds really strange, but you almost think it's less likely because you've well, lived through it. Exactly. There's some kind of strange thing you kind of think, well, because actually, you know, I had it at the same time as my father. I guess we always kind of reason afterwards, but I kind of thought, well, actually, I was quite glad that he didn't see me going through that treatment Mm. in some ways because you know he was at the end of his life and in some ways I know it sounds strange it was like at the right time that you know Mm. after COVID my dad passed away okay now I need to sort myself out yeah I totally get that as well because you kind Mm. of we all like use hindsight and there's like yeah you actually have found that that timeline was maybe meant to be that timeline is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like I'm not particularly spiritual, but I kind of thought, yeah, maybe that just Mm -hmm. something has worked out in a strange way, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So I understand that the doctor was increasing the um, inhaler, Mm. but did you have any symptoms 
was that because you were wheezing more and you were coughing? What did you actually feel? I was really tired and I was really down, but I just kind of thought it was because of my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was sort of going, getting home from work about sort of half seven, falling asleep for like two hours and then waking up. And I just kind of felt, you know, just really lethargic. And, you know, at some point before I did go and get that x-ray, the doctor was like going to put me on antidepressants. I have been on them before and in the past, but I just kind of felt like there was something else that just didn't seem felt really physical um Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't pinpoint what it was Mm. so yeah I mean I I had put on quite a few you know quite a lot of kilos in the last you know in the three years before two years before I kind of thought well maybe it's just because I'm not really looking after myself you know I'm not eating the best food always or doing enough exercise um but yeah there's so many things that that brings up which is like this idea that mental health issues could be physical you know, yeah. it, I mean, they are anyway, because you can treat them with medication. But what I mean is like, it, you know, there were also lots of external factors that could have yeah. led you to be feeling like that. But yeah, do you now think that the diagnosis definitely, it kind of made you feel like that's what the mood was related to? Or do you think it was a few things, including the diagnosis? I think I've always been a bit of an emotional person. You know, I can get really excited. I can get, kind of be like the life and so on. And you know, the next day I could just be like, you know, under the duvet. You know, the thing with my father that did, yeah. So I think it was a mixture of everything. Um, mm. But yeah, that can't have been helping the thyroid issue at the same time. You know, it can't yeah. have been making me feel great. Yeah. You know? The other thing that I wonder is what's it like being given that diagnosis in a foreign country where. I assume they told you in French and that you're fluent in French. I don't even know. And like without yeah. your family around and what did that feel like? Luckily at the time, um, my partner, you know, we were, you know, I'm single now, but he came with me to the sort of, well, I had a biopsy, very small operation and they removed one of the large lymph nodes in my neck. And then obviously then they knew straight away what it was. So my next appointment was with the surgeon. So it all went really quite quickly. You know, this was only three weeks after I had the, the CT scan. Of course, you know, when they were saying uh, they thought it was lymphoma, I was looking on Dr. Google, but, you know, 12 hours a day, it was a little bit, oh, you know. it must have been crazy. agony. Agony, yeah. that unknowing is the worst time. And I thought, I kind of did think, okay, maybe there was kind of like, I'd never had it before, you know, maybe I might die or I didn't really know what was going on, you know. There's all these kind of emotions going on and I thought, no, I'll be fine. And it was just very up and down. And then when I went to see the surgeon, it was the thoracic surgeon and he's Italian. So you can imagine that I've got quite probably a thick accent in French. And then, you know, he's got quite a thick accent as well uh, in French. So my partner at the time, he had to, you know, translate a little bit for me, you know, and there was all these words like lymph nodes, ganglion. I never know that word, you know, and all that kind of thing. So I felt a little bit lost. And then it was just very much kind of, almost straight away it was like okay so we're just going to cut down your chest and we're going to open you up here in your neck we're going to take out thyroid you know we're going to do a neck dissection and we're going to remove the one you know the massive tumor here you know that we need to remove as well on your windpipe that was yeah yeah yeah, it was kind of pushing on the track here so yeah afterwards I felt a little bit you know just quite lost but you know nowadays you know I see the consultant myself 
course, there is a bit of a language barrier, even a slight cultural barrier, even though, you know, France isn't that different to, to the UK, but there is a slight difference. So sometimes I want to know everything. I just want to know, I have loads of questions and maybe that's not always in the culture. It's kind of like, you know, the doctor says this, so you kind of accept it and you move on. Whereas I'm kind of there with my 20 questions, you know, why is this going on? So, you know, really the the meeting that I had with the surgeon only lasted about 10 minutes and then it was you're going to go in two weeks and have this kind of massive surgery so whoa oh my god yeah that is so intense I mean I say that but another part of me feels like Mm. a bit like I did around that four-week period of surgery isolation agony pain depression like in a way there's something about just getting it all done isn't there oh there was yeah yeah because if you just sat on that for months yeah. Ooh, you know lots of scary thoughts I imagine and fears and anxieties oh, and just going back sorry because mm. there's so yeah, much yeah. interesting stuff that you're saying yeah. just so you know like I felt like I was hearing a foreign language and my doctor was really, telling me yeah. in English so what you must have felt you know oh my god that must have been really overwhelming to try and navigate the language and the meaning and yeah. the culture on top of the diagnosis that must have been really tough yeah, no, I think it can be tough. And obviously, you know, I'm quite lucky in a way because as a native English speaker, you know, most doctors have, at least in France, you know, some vocabulary that they could just translate one or two words. But I can't imagine, you know, if I was in a completely different language, you know, I would be, you know, so much more lost than I was. I understand what they're saying. It's just sometimes, you know, yeah, I just have these questions and it's like, how do I formulate the question? Mm. Um, sometimes I feel like I have to prepare. Yeah. At the same time, the care has been so good here. So Has you know, it? So what's that difference in similarities? What's it like yeah. France specifically versus the UK being I mean, in a different there's... healthcare system? What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is great. I mean, it's complicated um, in some ways. You know, there's a lot of paperwork even before I go in to go and have my stay. I have to go in and uh, give my insurance paperwork. So I have like estate insurance and then I have a little bit of private insurance that everyone has here. But at the same time, you know, it enabled me to go and find a scan myself in Paris Mm -hmm. and literally just go online, book it. I had a piece of paper from the doctor and then I went. But, you know, I still had to for that scan um, that I did at the last minute. It cost me 250 euros and I'd lost my job at the time. I mean, luckily I was able to afford it. And then they refunded me the money, bizarrely, a month later. It's the way the system works here sometimes. Oh, right. Um, but, you know, luckily I had that in my account, but some people don't even have that. Yeah, know, totally. Their... Affordability is like Affordability. a massive factor, yeah. But, you know, I've been in the public hospital and really, honestly, they they have been great. And I think they were quite overstretched, like in 2021, I think my file got lost at some point, which was a little bit frustrating because, you know, they told me I'm going forward a little bit, but basically they told me I might need another operation and they kind of just uh, left my file kind of for about six months and, you know, I kept chasing. Nothing was happening. Oh, Adam. Oh, my God. And it was kind of a bit like agony. Um, Oh, yeah. So... I have a really big old rant in this series, actually, because I've touched on self-advocacy and then I thought, actually, I'm going to talk more about this. What are the ways in which we can really ensure that like it's stressful enough 
you know, going through this. But on top of that, you know, files going missing, appointments yeah. not being booked properly, your doctor running an hour late, like those exactly. things. I have a big old rant about that. One of the things yeah. that I do and don't do, and I wonder if you do, so you have a lot of questions. Do you make notes beforehand of those questions? Do you keep them on a file in your phone or something? I haven't really done that in the past, but actually this time I've got an appointment in about 10 days. I've already got my questions in my head. I'm, I'm going to put them in my notes. Uh, app. I'm yeah, just, I know, think that's a I'm, really good thing to do. Exactly. I've got some great doctors, but, you know, they're also not in comms or marketing. <laughs> and, you know, they're not trained and always, and that's not their job. You know, I'm not always there for that. But the difference is, I think, in the French healthcare system is we don't have, for example, like a, I don't have a nurse contact that I could, like a coordinator. And sometimes I feel a little bit lost between, all the different departments and I do feel like it's me constantly like bugging them for appointments and I think they must be like oh l'anglais or the English you know the annoying English person but you know. do you know what though that's another part of this rant that I have is mm. that you know like we don't want to bother them do we we don't yeah. want to be a fuss we don't want to make no. a problem and I think like that must be so hard for you not having a nurse because I probably overuse my nurse I probably ask her to do things that she it may put added pressure on her workload but I don't know where else to go with some questions and and I think like I mean I was thinking this actually how much of my time our time is spent just managing our health now, probably yeah. like a good 25, 30%. And that's in addition to all your other life admin that you've got to do. So it's quite a lot. The other thing I've never done, but I want to ask you if you do, yeah. is record the appointments. Mm. Yeah, no, I haven't actually done that. I wonder if that would be a good idea. I just wonder if the doctors would be kind of up for that. Um, but yeah, I think that could be quite a good idea. Actually, I think I'm going to start doing it. And I think, I think I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Let's go back. You had two weeks to your operation and that like pretty much between being diagnosed, did they know once they did the biopsy that this was, you said they knew it was cancer. What did they actually diagnose you with? Yeah. So I've got papillary thyroid cancer. So it's kind of the most common thyroid cancer type, I guess. And then later on, they did the biomarkers. So they did the genetic testing. And that's when I had the BRAF V600E like strain, I guess. I don't always know the terminology, but yeah. So yeah, it was kind of like, I was obviously on Dr. Google thinking, okay, great. It seemed quite straightforward. And then of course, my friends were kind of saying the same, you know, straightforward. And obviously you realize that it's kind of a little bit unhealthy to kind of think like that, because I think it's almost created some disappointment because I kept thinking, okay, this is a couple of an operation here. And I know it's a bit nonchalant to think like that. And maybe it's obviously with the benefit of hindsight, it's kind of, you know, easy to think, why did I think like that? But you do trust what you see, what you read and statistics, but you're not always a statistic, you know, sometimes there are some here and there, so, yeah, it was kind of strange. You know, it was some people were sort of like, well, that's great. You're not going to die. And I was like, I don't know. I'm meant to be excited about that, that <laughs> I might not die. <laughs> it's such a valid point because there's yeah. such a myth around thyroid cancer. I had exactly the same thing. When I told people I had thyroid cancer, you know, anyone who'd heard of it or known someone with thyroid cancer would literally, oh, that's so treatable. Oh, yeah, I know mm. someone that had that or... 
it's a myth because look mm. at you and look at I. I mean, I, I don't know, like, for you longer term, but I know your treatment's yeah. ongoing and it is for me too. And it's like there's a really bad terminology used around thyroid cancer that it's a good cancer. I just don't think those two words should go together. No. And it's kind of offensive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that. I think I always think it's always about the intention of the person. So, like, often people are just trying to be really nice and, you know, they're just trying to, you know, people just don't know what to do, including my mum, my poor mum, she's been there throughout the whole thing. And, you know, it's not her fault, you know, we get on really, really well, but sometimes we bicker because we're so, almost so close. Sometimes she can't say the right thing. I sometimes come across maybe a little bit rude. She's been through some health things herself and she knows it's not always straightforward. She was, used to be a nurse and she works in health now. So she understands, you know, it's not always a box ticking exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone else is just really trying to, you know, comfort you and keep you going and keep positive. And I try to be positive and I feel like I've been more or less positive, but to be honest, no, there's been some dark times as well. And, you know, it's been very up and down. I'm kind of, sorry, I'll keep moving around the... <laughs> no, no, subjects, it's all, but, it's all, yeah. it's not. It's totally relevant. I think, so when you had the operation, what did they actually do, Adam? What was the operation? Yeah, so what they did is they cut down my chest. So it's like a sternotomy. So they opened up the chest. They did like a flap here on around the neck. So they cut that open, removed the thyroid, remove the thymus i didn't even What's know that? what that was uh, apparently it's some random glands that you don't actually need after you've reached puberty but oh, apparently right. there's some kind of i don't know hormones in there or something so remove that and then they removed the there was kind of the large massive lymph nodes they removed that then they went through my neck and removed you know as much as they could lymph nodes wise so afterwards obviously you know it was pretty painful i was on a lot of morphine and obviously you know i think i showed you a little photo of the metal hooks that are kind of have kept the chest together yeah i might with yeah. your permission <laughs> we yeah. might put those out when the interview goes out sure yeah no worries don't mind. i don't yeah, know why that's... i'm proud of them but i don't good know why for you. Yeah, good i don't for know you. why but <laughs> listen yeah. that operation i don't know if you listened to the episode where i talked about my surgeon and meeting yeah. my surgeon but i was told i was going to have that and I feel so much empathy for you because I totally know I, that was going to be my path. And mm. then they decided not to do that. And the thoracic surgeon managed to get down from the neck where they opened up the neck. Mm. I was really scared about that. Like that that was going to be, yeah, the operation. Like, was it as bad as I thought it was going to be <laughs> it's really hard isn't it because it's it's also relative you know I'd never really had any surgery before I guess I was in hospital for about 11 days maybe I think the first few days were kind of horrible because we had it was July so as you can imagine it was like 35 degrees in Paris and I was just sweating and I think my my brother and my mother came as well and my ex as well they so they were all there together and it was so nice because he was translating for my mum and my brother calling up checking because you know it's even things like that you know my mum was worrying you know 
the operation went on for about I don't know seven hours I don't really know how long it was something like that and then obviously I was in the wake up recovery room for you know three or four hours and they were wondering what was going on um and they're very much like no new no news is good news so I think sometimes it was worse for the other people yeah I always say that it. but obviously from from my point of view yeah it was horrible I think it was the having to hold the chest every time you cough and things like that it was very painful to move and then I had three drains in as well I'm sure you had some drains I had as well. two not... but yeah, yeah. You, beat, you beat me again <laughs> <laughs> it's not competition <laughs> no but you know it's funny because before we came on this this call I was like it's really interesting people ask me all sorts of you know they respond to what I've been through and I'm always like well you've got to what choice do you have but yeah. I feel the same kind of compassion towards you, like as though I didn't even go through any of this myself. So I completely get, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but basically yeah. I feel for you, man. I seriously <laughs> feel for you. No, thank you. I mean, the thing is that I had a friend who had like open heart surgery, but you just can't compare at the end of the day. It's like your experience. And I tried to stop doing that because I kind of think, okay, there's kids going through worse things as people having you know that you just can't compare you know at the end of the day it's still a bit crap really you know it's it's not that you know fun um and I think it was the recovery that was that was hard because sort of six weeks later I then had the radioactive iodine but I was still kind of tired from you know the operation you know even just walking was kind of hard and yeah I was on a lot of pain yes. <laughs> Mm. yeah so so how was the radioactive iodine for you well at the time I sort of went cold turkey on the hormones so they don't always do that sometimes they do the thyroid I don't know if you had the I thyroid. had the thyroidin yeah yeah so they wanted to go sort of really cold turkey so I went so I sort of started the levothyroxine just after my operation and then four weeks later I stopped it so I wasn't really at the optimum level anyway and then I sort of went into this hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it was like 30 degrees or more outside and I was shivering, you know, and I'm not oh. one of those people that, you know, shivers. Um, you know, mm. It has to be really, really cold, but I was throwing up. and it Oh, was my fun. God. That was your um, response to the iodine? That was from the levothyroxine withdrawal. I see. Right, right, right. And then when I took the pill, yeah, I then was... I just continuously throwing up. So they tried to give me like radiation sickness tablets. And unfortunately, I just couldn't eat the whole time I was in there. So it wasn't fun. No. But I knew I was doing it for a reason. And I kept kind of thinking, well, I, you know, I know it sounds a bit negative, but I was kind of thinking, well, I'm not on chemo. I'm, you know, I'm, I kind of kept trying to, you know, it's just a temporary thing. And then, you know, I had the scan and they kind of said, you know, it's not all gone, but there's a little bit, some remnants there. But I was kind of expecting them to kind of say, okay, you're done now, you're cured. And then I realised that, oh, no, it's not like that. We've got to wait three months uh, to have a scan. And, you know, I guess I was just quite naive, really. I thought it was just going to be the end of it. And then when you had the scan three months later, what did that show? Well, actually, it wasn't too bad. It was, so this was sort of September 2020. I had the radioactive iodine, and then it kind of got to about December that was okay you know the bloods were fine that was the weird thing 
And then I finally found a new job because I'd been off work since uh, COVID. And then in the May, May 2021, I started this new job. And then three weeks later, they were like, you need to have a scan. And then they were like, oh, it's kind of what they call persistence. So I hadn't really come back because it was still kind of there, if that makes sense. You know, I just thought, oh, it's, it's come back. But, but no, I hadn't really had the all clear anyway. Right. So um, does that mean that for you, the radioactive iodine didn't work? Or you think that? Yeah. I suppose for me, I'm on a treatment all the time and you weren't, but the treatment was the radioactive iodine, right? Because it stays mm. in your body. It takes like about four or five months to kind of work and then you right. might do another dose, right? So yeah, you went about your life feeling like you had this treatment going around your body, I assume. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Because I would say at the time we had, you know, lockdowns and stuff. And I was so, I was really, really fatigued that, you know, almost for about, you know, eight months after the operation and the radioactive iodine. And I just felt really lazy, to be honest. I just felt like quite a bit down as well. I didn't really know what was going on with work. I didn't really know what was going on with life. But, you know, luckily we, I was staying with my ex's family. You know, we were down because of the lockdowns and things. So there was a bit of a family there. And, mm. you know, they were all just kind of, I felt like, you know, looking after me almost. And then, yeah, I had this job in May. And I thought, okay, great you know, going back to life. And then, yeah, they were just like, well, we've seen some things there. We're probably going to do an operation. And then it wasn't until the December that I finally had the neck dissection. Um, and that was, I think it was this side on, on my right. So, and I went down for the operation and, you know, I'd had a, another ultrasound two weeks before just to map out the surgery. And they could see that there were lymph nodes on both sides but the plan was at first to only do one side, but, you know, unfortunately the results hadn't been sent to the surgeon. So I literally went down for the operation and I could hear them, you know, in French, you know, kind of moaning basically. And they hadn't checked my latest results. So they were like, I'm sorry, we're only going to do one side today. We'll do the other side in a, in a month or two. I just felt like really, really down because I just thought... Mm. I've got That's to go through so it again. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, I then had a shield leak. So basically, where the lymphatic fluid leaks. So it was really kind of horrible. <laughs> had these drains, and there was it would look like cream was coming out of. The oh, Adam. <laughs> so basically, you're saying it was like a pus city. It in looked there. like pus. Obviously, it's not. But basically, and because they'd been giving me like really high, you know, like. Um, you know, potatoes with cream and stuff. It was like really like high fat food. I thought it looked like what I'd just eaten. The oh, oh, Adam, you poor thing. That can happen. That, sorry, what's it, it called? Uh, Shill leak. Yeah, because yeah. after my operation, that was something the nurse said. She was like, you know, you're, basically she said, now you've had all these lymph nodes out. What your body's trying to do, like imagine your lymph nodes is like your, your washing machine. Mm. And now it's, you know, it's got half the amount it had in the neck. So it's kind of got to find its way back to like doing the same job, but with less washing tablets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so sometimes it can kind of, well, explain what it is, because I don't even know what it is, but I know it can happen. I feel like I don't even know what it is, but no, I have looked it up and we basically, yeah, the lymphatic system is all over your body. And I think sometimes yeah they can just be like a rupture because they obviously were sort of cutting you know through my neck and you know 
<laughs> things can get like caught so basically yeah this fluid that normally just goes all around your body basically was it just kind of like almost burst i guess it's kind of in a simple term so they really have to kind of compress stop it because it can be a little bit dangerous mm-hmm. so yeah i had the bandages on and then i went on a really like low fat diet so i couldn't even have like olive oil or it was just kind of steamed everything mm-hmm. and then that kind of healed things but yeah i had the compression bandages so i was in for about 10 days my poor mum was here again so she she had to take more time off work um oh, oh bless her and then we had lockdown macron close the borders so she couldn't go back for christmas and i wouldn't have been able to go back so we both just the two of us we had christmas in my little little studio for that so that was kind of quite quite fun it was memorable actually quite quite nice but you know that's the other element of this and again like when I spoke to Carly you know she had a breast cancer diagnosis during lockdown in 2020 Mm. and again I often think god you know don't forget like the stuff that's going on in the world as well that can Mm. impact these experiences that people have of cancer and cancer diagnosis and treatment and stuff and again like that must have just an added factor that you didn't really need, let's be honest. Yeah, I think because obviously, you know, I'm in Paris, so I'm not that far away. You know, I can get on the train and in two hours I'm, I'm in London and then it's like an hour to go home from there. But obviously with COVID, yeah, you kind of, sometimes you just want to go back, you know, and just for a weekend and I wasn't able to. So mm. that was kind of hard. Obviously now it's different with technology, but sometimes you just want to see, you know, your old friends or, you know, your family and, and things. So yeah that has been difficult and yeah. luckily my mum's been able to come over and she's kind of dodged dodged the bullet a few times but yeah um and then she came over in january as well for my other operation so so they then did the other dissection on the other side like they said yeah. they would a bit later exactly yeah so i had staples the second time because they um, didn't want to have like the risk of infection was a little bit greater so they i had these kind of really big staples so I did get some weird looks sort of in, <laughs> in the metro and there was people like whispering. Um, and there was one time I was talking to my mum and I could see this couple kind of looking and I felt like it was really passive aggressive of me to do it. But I just was like, I just said really loudly, well, hopefully the cancer will be gone soon, you know, just to kind of. <laughs> I, I'm a bit like you, I kind of point at it and stuff, you know, or like. Yeah again I find that really interesting like what does it feel like to live with a scar that's pretty visible you know it's Mm. like okay if you get a scarf you can cover it up but it's really on the outside isn't it and I it's funny it doesn't bother me at all it really doesn't what about you no No, it doesn't bother me at all I mean think sometimes I get a few looks and occasionally I felt a little bit you know but I kind of think well human beings are curious i don't think there's always malice involved and you know in some ways they've kind of healed up quite well Mm, um yeah looks good looking good adam (laughs) (laughs) Um, but now i've kind of got scars over scars and i was almost joking about it with the surgeon because they've gone over again in july over the the original sort of bottom of the neck and it's they're all kind of like there's kind of just like a red blob here so sometimes people do kind of look at that but do you feel yeah. like pointing it and go, you should see the other guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you treat it? Do you put anything on it? How do you look um, after it? I feel like with a lot of things, there's a lot of things that I've kind of 
not been great at doing, but I, I do have this kind of um, really good cream from the Roche Pousset that's pretty good. And I put that on and I put some on this morning because, you know, just to calm it down. And sometimes I put on like bio oil and things like that. But the, the sternotomy scar, I really couldn't put anything on for about three or four months because it was still kind of healing. So I felt like if I put cream yeah. on it, it just would have. It's a yeah. really funny thing when you start to touch the scar. It's like, I think it's a really sensitive time. And then you kind of have to form this different relationship with that part of your body. But there's loads, exactly. there are lots of products out there for people to put on scars. I use a vitamin E oil, just pure vitamin E. And I also use like a silicone gel, but they okay. all come in these tiny little bottles. So yeah. I think they used to put on a tiny little scar. And I'm like, I need to keep <laughs> buying more. Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask you. So yeah. I've got the full movement of my neck now. Yeah. But the skin, is still so tight mm-hmm. did you have that does that go because it's been four months and it's literally I feel like someone's like pulling my skin apart yeah I mean obviously um the two side I guess they call them lateral neck dissections those scars yeah it took me about four to five to six months to really kind okay. of <laughs> I remember coming out of hospital and obviously when you're walking in the street you're constantly moving your neck without kind of thinking and I just remember it kind of like pulling, you know, quite hard and, um, you know, having mm. to be almost like walking with my neck, just like straight. So I must have looked really strange. But yeah, I do find that it does go. Okay. It just takes some time, but I saw a physio. Taking ages. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> but I saw a physio and because I have problems with my, my arm mm-hmm. still. Lifting yeah, me up. too. Like yeah. certain positions, it's quite hard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he gave me a few exercises for my neck because I, f- I think it's just gets really tight as well. And the scar yeah. can get a bit tight. Yeah, definitely. We're both not nodding our heads from left yeah. to right. Because I think, yeah, if it starts to feel stiff, I feel like I need to move it. But I'm glad to hear that the skin will loosen up eventually. Oh, so Claire and I talked, I think it was in season two about I made a very sweeping statement. I said, men don't like to listen to my podcasts because it's really difficult. And she said, you know, men probably if if you're fearful of something health related, you kind of retreat away from it. And then I talked about it with someone else, another guest on this, Caroline Garrett. And uh, she's a exercise trainer for Maggie's. And um, she herself has had cancer, has had breast cancer. And she said, actually, if you look at our culture and our society, health-related stuff is directed more towards women. Like, Mm -hmm. there's just more awareness, and we're just taught more kind of growing up, you know, even from a young Mm -hmm. age, puberty, periods, smears, mammograms, like, women's health is kind of much more in the public domain. And she said, that's why women just kind of can talk about their health more easily than men. You know, we don't, it's much more taboo. And I thought that was so interesting that there is actually a more of a cultural explanation than me just going, men just don't like to talk about it. What, what you might not feel any different, but like being a man going through this and thyroid, which again is a topic that comes up a lot in fertility for women. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much men even know about a thyroid. Can you give a bit of perspective around that being a man going through this? I think probably from my point of view, because my mum has always worked in health, and there's been a few health issues in the family. You know, she had cancer as well at one point. 
and I guess we've been quite open about these things and I've never felt scared you know I think because I've never been scared about a blood test or anything like that mm-hmm. because um but yeah no it's, it's a really interesting question because I think sometimes yeah it's with men maybe it's about showing weakness and I think mm. you know for example on my social media you know I have my my accounts closed and the way I kind of think is because at one point I was a teacher so I kind of had to close everything and keep it blocked and I thought well I'll put a post up occasionally because sometimes it's just easier than messaging everyone and kind of going um you know to have to explain that to me that's why I launched a podcast yeah exactly (laughs) I totally get that yeah it's just easier isn't it to just put something out there and then yeah because I feel like also people just don't you know it's not their fault they don't know how to react as well it's sort of like here we go again kind of thing you know but so sometimes I just put things up on Instagram and I kind of think, well, you know, if people don't want to follow me, they don't follow me, that's fine. But I'm kind of quite open book. Whereas sometimes you go on social media and there's people like, you know, it's all about the aesthetics and things like that. And I'm maybe just a bit too honest, but I just kind of put everything on mm. on Instagram. I think that's I really refreshing. Care. And obviously you're an exception to the rule because you did listen to my podcast when it launched and you did message yeah. me. So you are able yeah. to kind of talk about this subject maybe it's another myth and I need to bust that one too well I think it's interesting because I feel like maybe with my father sometimes you know I try to talk to him about in depth about the illness and sometimes you just don't want to talk about it yeah my dad um, as well yeah generation thing for sure generation yeah and sometimes I just want to be like dad you can tell me what's going on but I guess he didn't really want that he just wanted to know what I was doing, you know, yeah, or talk about something else. Sometimes the way I feel is, uh, you know, I was on a lot of these groups on Facebook, but sometimes I've kind of stopped looking at those now because I don't want to find myself with, you know, everything's about the the C word. And, you know, recently as well, I've been Googling until like one in the morning because a bit like you might have as well, I've got the refractory radioactive ID. So that's so. been confirmed for you, has it? That means that you don't respond to it as a treatment. Yeah, they're kind of, which is also like a bit like, oh, so what's plan B? But plan A at least is to go on a kind of a drug a bit like you're on like a inhibitor. So it's a breath inhibitor drug. I think that may be for five weeks and then, the idea is that it changes the cells to allow the iodine to kind of be absorbed into the thyroid cells. But then, you know, maybe it's a negative way of thinking. I kind of want the black and white information sometimes. I don't know if that's a man thing or not, but I just want to want to know what is the percentage of, you know, is this going to be efficient at, you know, 50%, 70%? And I feel like my dad was similar. Like, we just mm. want to understand what's going on yeah even though we're not scientists you know we don't really know well I'll never 100% understand but if people explain to me what's going on then I kind of feel more relaxed about it yeah of course I think we all want concrete information and knowledge we want to know our outlook we want to know things we want to have that control and I think one of the hardest things that I've had to accept and this is something as well I talk about it's like this yeah. is step by step. Like in the beginning, I didn't ask those kind of questions because 
I wasn't ready to, you know, and I still haven't been given concrete answers really mm. like about my outlook. So all I know is like, I take a drug every night and then like, mm. let's look at some scans in a bit. Like yeah. that's all I can do, but everyone's got a different way of dealing with it. So I completely yeah. understand what, okay. So the moment you're RAI resistant, radioactive resistant, and you're going to go on treatment. It's funny because before I got transferred to the Royal Marsden, mm. the team looking after me at the UCLH thought I had the BRAF. Right, okay. And so there was like, is it, do you take two drugs, like alternately? Is that what they've told you? That's what they told me I would have had to do. Yeah, I'm a bit confused because I've seen, they mentioned Taniflar, which is, oh, I've forgotten the name. It's D something Ib. Um, yeah, they all end in Ib. Yeah, yeah. Ib, exactly. Ib's what I'm on, yeah. Yeah, so there might be that and then another tablet at the same time or, yeah, like you say, alternate. So that will be really interesting for you. I'd love to know. Yeah. Well, we'll be in touch anyway, but yeah, I'd definitely. love to know how you're feeling on that. I mean, if it's any consolation, like the most intense side effects for me on Ontrectinib were like in those early days and you're like, what have I put in my body? But you touched on the biomarker and we talked about those genes and yeah. like... One thing I think is useful for listeners is to go on the Institute of Cancer Research website because, you know, actually that's where a lot of this research is happening and that's where a lot mm. of the information is and it's good information, it's right information. If you can be strict with yourself to just look at one place where you know it's a good source and you're going to get all the information instead of, as we do, trawling through and through because yeah. kind of make you feel, most of the time it makes you feel worse, I think, doing that than better. Well, it does for me anyway. And so, yeah, the Institute, so the, what they're pushing is they're pushing mm. the NHS here to really try and screen cancer in that way. Like mm. that's, if you can understand that there might be this, a mutating gene, you know, then that's something that can be treated with, they're called targeted therapies or inhibitors, mm. but it's great that they're doing that in France as well for you. Definitely. I think um, because... I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel like your team of doctors are like celebrities a little bit. It's like, Definitely. I yeah, I was kind of like looking up my endocrinologist and he's part of some European team. He seems so humble when you meet him, you know, because he's not kind of, you know, full of himself like a celebrity, but, you know, not that everyone is, but, you know, he's just kind of like talks to you on a normal level. And then you kind of Google and see all this stuff and you think, wow this person has really you know dedicated his life to this so i think you know when you know that these people are really specialists and you know they mentioned this drugs like a year year and a half ago so i've kind of been waiting to go on it but unfortunately you know, i had the three operations in between and they kind of said well maybe you don't need it and then you know recently I, i've had the ultrasound and they said that i do need it it was almost like a relief i know it sounds a bit strange because I really just want to, you know, have everything go at it. I really just want to see what we can do. And yeah, I guess it's amazing, really, like the changes that have been made in the last like five, 10 years. Um, yeah. Even with my father, I know it's, you know, I don't mean to be depressing, but he said, you know, maybe in five, 10 years, he would have had an immunotherapy drug that yeah. might have helped. Yeah. We just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but it's also really positive. 
It is yeah. really positive. Yeah. And of course, it's so sad for the people that we've lost, you know, my dad included, like now, mm. if they'd have diagnosed him, I think it would be a completely different experience. Yeah. Oh, it's been so good chatting to you. I've loved yeah, it. Really I've really loved it. Thanks so much Thanks for your so time. Much. It's been really great to speak to you. IRL. Exactly. This is kind of real life, isn't it? On <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is. <laughs> right. Have a great day. You too. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. That was the lovely Adam and thank you so much again, Adam, for speaking to me. I just love chatting to you, sharing our experiences and you were so open and so honest in that conversation, which really means a lot to me because I know that's a brave thing to do. So yeah, thank you again so much and I hope the listeners really enjoyed that. As ever, get in touch, send me an email to hello at talkingwithcancer.com or look me up on Instagram. I'm there as talking underscore with cancer. And don't forget, this week's episode has been split into two parts. So part two goes out on Thursday. And I will be chatting to a gentleman all the way over in LA called David Chill. We came across each other on a group I've mentioned before, actually. It's called the Ross Wonders, and it's a Facebook group for people who have the Ross 1 mutating gene. And I actually reached out to David after he put a post up about being on his targeted treatment for 10 years, which filled me with utter joy and hope and celebration. So, yeah. Come back on Thursday to listen to David Chill's story and I look forward to seeing you guys then. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.